Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. We're back for another episode. Whether we like it or not. Look at that mug. Showing off. Isn't it a classy little mug? I love it. I want to get one of those. I got to actually go to a a match, I guess. I know. I ordered ordered it online, so. Oh, look at you. So fancy with your online ordering. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I've, I've, gotten very good. I've gotten very good at ordering online this uh, last year for some reason. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, that's, that's a fancy mug of yours. Um, I, w- w- I guess I, I got to ask right away, like, what's inside that mug this week? Uh, inside, I went with a fancy beer because, you know, it was kind of... Not that I don't like talking to you or doing this podcast, but for mm-hmm. very obvious reason, it was kind of hard for me to get excited about doing this podcast. So I got myself a fancy beer <laughs> with the uh-huh. idea that that would help for talking about beer of the week. That would help me uh, get through. So I did a, a Saison de Pont. It's actually my favorite. It's a Belgian beer, a Bel- Belgian farmhouse. It's a, a little bit sour, a little bit fruity, has, you know, nice wheat spice flavors I, as i say it's probably my favorite beer one of my favorite all-time beers not All not right. cheap but uh yeah but fancy but fancy. fancy and nice comes in at about a six percent so it's that nice nice level so yeah if you haven't had it definitely give it a try i i was smiling at your six percent because I, I grabbed something from my fridge and i think i mentioned a few weeks back that i had been given a like a mystery beer pack mm-hmm. at, for my birthday. And I've been pecking away at it and I was kind of going for the good, the, the stuff I knew I would like first. And now I'm getting into the, the weird stuff, the stuff I'm not sure about. <laughs> and I couldn't even tell you much about what type of beer this is. But the thing that caught my eye once I opened it is that it's 16%. Ooh, we're going to have a fun uh, podcast, aren't we? <laughs> well, I, it was too late. I already opened it I, before I noticed what had gone horribly wrong here. But um, <laughs> Horribly wrong or horribly right? Hor- maybe horribly right. Um, oh what is it? Okay. Let's see if the camera can oh, pick this up here. A little hard to read. There we oh, go. There can you see that? Oh, I love the brewery. Avery? A- Avery Brewing from Colorado here. It's called the Beast Grand Crew Ale. What's it taste like? I was saving that so you could catch my face on camera in case it's horrible here. <laughs> oh, you can hear the glugs on camera. <laughs> mm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a lot. It's that back end, really. It's it's like ethanol. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I don't know. I don't even know what kind of beer it actually is. I don't know what a Grand Cru Ale is supposed to be. It's just a fancy word for ales. Um, yeah, I would like actually at the end of the episode to say how you like it. Because I think beers like yeah. that take a few uh, sips to, to get your mind around. Well, after a few sips, my mouth is going to be completely numb. I won't care what <laughs> I'm drinking. I won't taste anything. You know, it'll help the discussion on uh, the Liverpool game. So, <sighs> what a time! What a time to be going heavy. This yeah, is uh, an ale with raisins, dates, molasses, and honey. So it's Ooh. kind of on the sweeter, like 
a little bit sweet, but the alcohol kind of balances out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I bet you like you already opened it, but I bet you that that's a beer that gets better with age too. You let it sit. If you're cellaring it, let it sit for a couple, a uh, couple years and it would get so, even better. It's funny you say that because as I look at this label here, it says annual release, July 2012, batch number 10 of 792 cases. So this is an aged, it, you know, that makes it more special to me. We're both yeah, doing no, special, special beers now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got to get some way to get excited because I think this is going to be the last positive thing we say for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's all down here from all down the hill from here, especially when it comes to me talking. So if that <laughs> if this is the high water mark, get ready. <laughs> all right. Well, um, let's let's keep this train going because who knows how long I'll last here. <laughs> what's what's your question of the week? Uh, my question of the week is again. I'm trying not to think about the actual product on the field or anything. So this is a little out of left field, but. Uh, I wanted to know what you would name your next child, what Arsenal player you would name your next child after. Not based on like who's your favorite player, just your favorite name. Hmm. If I if I named it like if I had a boy and I named him Henry, would I have to call him Henri? Yes. 100 <laughs> percent So he would be Henri, yeah, for sure. I mean that's He's a fa- he's a fancy Henry. Yeah, that that, that is good. I think because like you know my favorite player is uh, Dennis Burkamp, but like Dennis is just a very boring you know name. I think I could go with Hector though. Hector sounds like a a, a fun fun name. Yeah. I also was thinking of going Thierry because I feel like that could be a unisex name. Yeah, you know, going the Pretty first part any, of Henry. Yeah, yeah. Any any name can be. Slapped onto pretty much anything. It's it's a very fluid name naming system we have going on these days. Yeah, I mean, well, Gabriel. I don't know. Like that would be a fun one too, but it would probably just turn into Gabriel, which is a good fine name. I'm not trying to insult anybody's name. Sorry, all those Dennis's out there or whatever. My name's Tim. <laughs> it's a very boring name, but sorry, Dennis, whoever you are. Um, I'm trying to think of other good ones. I'm going going through the the list here. Callum is a name I actually kind of like. That I would I'd be down with some Callum. Yeah, it seems very like millennial that name, but I I, I get it. Uh huh. <laughs> um, who else we got? Uh, Rob's kind of boring. Uh, that's my brother in law's name. So sorry if he ever watches <laughs> this. Um, Didn't he do the graphics? <laughs> no, that's my brother. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Who else do we got? Danny, uh, Bacayo. Oh, Bacayo. That is a good name. Yeah. I could rock a Bacayo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's throw down a Pepe. A Pepe. That'd be fun. <laughs> fun fact, that was when, you know, in a, uh, when you take languages in high school, I took French and uh-huh. I used a uh, Pepe as my French name because of Pepe Le Pew. I found out later that's not really a French name. It's more a Spanish name, but mm. makes sense. Cartoons can't be wrong. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think that, that I'm, I'm sticking with Henri or Callum. Those are okay. my two. I like that. We'll go with those. 
Apparently I'm having a boy. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> stretching too much. All right. Well, yeah, I don't know how, how much I really want to move forward. This is one of those weeks where, um, you know, this podcast is fun to do, but some, some weeks it feels more like a job than others. <laughs> like yeah. I'm really having to work myself up a little bit to, to want to talk about this game. I will tell you something about this game, which is I watched this game and then I did not watch soccer for the rest of that day and the day after, which for me is insane. I usually watch on the weekends, especially like three, Mm -hmm. four games, but I just like that game ruined soccer for me for the weekend. (laughs) I just couldn't. uh, We've had so many games where, um, the, the team has found a way to really get, kind of screw themselves up like by horrible mistakes um you know var going against us poor calls this week the only thing that really screwed us up was was the injury thing and i would say that was just um shit icing on the cake because (laughs) the the rest was already pretty bad and that was just made it much worse but there was nothing specific that I could point to that um, there was no specific incident this week where I was like, ah, oh, man, we, that's, that's a fixable error. That's something we could have avoided this week. It was just the whole game was just bad. I, I don't know how else to, to, how else to put it. It's bad. Yeah. Like I, I, I would almost rather lose by a stupid David Louise mistake where we played all right. And then it was just like a bad mistake and we lost the game and you could take some positives as opposed to just like the entire team, just not caring. That's really what I, what I pulled out of it is there was no one out of that game that could hold hold their head high. And there were several players that usually perform very, very well that didn't. I mean, Bernd Leno, probably our stalwart had a horrible goal that, 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 that five hole goal just like, is just so uncharacteristic and I just, I don't, I don't even know where you, where to go from there. Like what do we, what do we talk about with a performance like that? Yeah. Where to begin? Um, I guess for me, I, I look at the lineup and I think that kind of is the core of the issues. Um, I, I am of two minds with this last game. Uh, Mainly, I looked at that lineup and I was like, "That that's not a winning lineup." There, <laughs> there, like I, I could not believe, and I, I understand part of of the problem is um, injuries and and other things coming up. Jaka uh, was sick, which is fluky in itself because who's getting sick these days? Uh, <laughs> unless it's COVID, most people are not getting sick. Um, the uh, the David Louise injury to the knee that it, he's had surgery for now. Um, another fluky thing. Uh, and then, you know, not having Saka, not having Emil Smith Rowe. Um, it is just like all, all the dominoes were falling before the game even kicked off. And I, I, I don't know how much I could lay at Arteta's feet for this one. I, there were, not to say he is blameless. I think he made 
mistakes with the lineup outside of the, what he, you know, I, I feel like he could have done better with what he had available, but how can it, the, the, the team that makes that really has worked since Christmas time, um, since that Chelsea game was not available. Like that, this is the team. I mean, outside of Odegaard, who might as well not have been in the game anyway, this is the team that really played pretty crappy for the first part of the year. Um, you know, swap party in for Jaka, and that anybody paired with Ceballos apparently is just not going to be able to hold down that midfield. Um, and we could talk. Yeah, I mean, we could pretty much go talk about every single player that played and and have some complaints because it just the team that that played really didn't show up anyway. Well, you talk about like we can focus on the selection first, which is I don't understand why Sobias even gets sniffs at games at this point. And I think today or today last game was another example why he's just he. We talk about uh, someone like Odegaard being often a uh, force enhancer. I think Ceballos is a force detractor <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think he makes the players around him worse. And uh, we had uh, the uh, answer to our question from last week, which was whether uh, Chambers was a good uh, replacement as a, a back. And I think we found that out pretty easy. I don't think he ha- he covered himself in glory at all that game. And it's a, a, a also last week we discussed Aubameyang a little bit on the bench start drop and or start bench drop and I'm I'm really of the opinion that Aubameyang shouldn't be getting starts at this point either I think I'm just yeah you you had him down as a bench I think you're yeah. you called it right I, or at least, uh, actually I will I will say I don't want to see him playing on the left put him up top. I think that's where he should have been in this game. I, I don't think it should have been luck as that up top. Yeah. And, and I think with, I just, Aubameyang was completely anonymous that mm-hmm. game. And we got better as soon as Martinelli got on the pitch, even though some goals came in after that happened. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's just like, I, at this point, I just can't justify Aubameyang starting. And again, like I understand we want to get his engine revving and everything like that, but, I think at this point in the season, we're well past that point. And if he he wants to uh, be a starter, he should be showing it now, and maybe he has to start showing it from the bench. Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't mind. I mean, if he didn't start on Thursday and and came in off the bench and was a an option there, I think that would be maybe better. I, I think mm-hmm. Martinelli deserves more time based based on the minutes he got in this game. I, I agree. Um, you know, circumstances being what they are, he's going to look better against tired legs in general, but he just looked more uh, willing to do what this game required. That was make runs and get into space. Um, What do you think was the game plan from Arteta? If you were to guess what he was trying to do, what what do you think? I think it was pretty obvious, which is I think he was trying to do what we've done against kind of bigger teams. And I I know there's going to be people that listen to this don't like us being called lesser than Liverpool at this point. But this is kind of where we're at. And Mm -hmm. I think it's to sit back, to absorb pressure and trying to get a lucky goal. It's worked for us in the past. It worked for us in the, uh, the FA Cup final. 
and you looked at the game for the first however minutes it was us just sitting back Liverpool thank god their strikers are just not firing we saw that today in the Champions League they mm-hmm. they their strikers aren't firing otherwise it could have been far worse than three nothing and we were trying to just soak up the pressure and make some sort of magic happen but what was happening is we weren't soaking up the pressure all that well they were just missing their shots and we had nothing going forward yeah um you're absolutely right i think with the the game plan and to me i know that like um looking back at what the way we were playing when we successfully pulled that off with the FA Cup final and the um, Community Shield against Liverpool. It was a back three, which gave more, um, a little more coverage and probably would have changed the way that Aubameyang um, would have been able to play if, if we did that in this game. But I, ca- I can't see Arteta going, going back to that. So trying to force that same game plan to work with a back four and the way that they were set up... Um, yeah, it did not pan out. Um, I think another big piece of that was that Ceballos party Odegaard midfield was pretty bad. I mean, I, I think they just could not keep possession. And that that really was the key. I mean, if you, it seemed like Chambers was not getting, getting forward by design. Like, I think that um, he was told to kind of stay home a little bit. But even Tierney wasn't wasn't really able to get up um, and keep the ball long enough to to set up the players in front of him. I think the the link up play between Tierney and Aubameyang was almost non-existent, and never did it feel like Aubameyang was about to make a run. It just felt like they were constantly pinned in the their own half, and getting past that was pretty much impossible. It just looked like they could not keep the ball long enough to pick out anybody. And the runs just were not coming. And I think there was a few times, um, they, you know, they didn't really play out of the back. It was just, it, it was so different. And and then the few times they were able to kind of get the ball upfield, maybe to Pepe. You know, I, I, I get frustrated with Pepe a little bit um, in these situations where, and I, I don't know why it's so different, like why we play so differently with him. Um, I know part of it is he likes to take on armies by himself. <laughs> and try to find his way out. But it seems like he's also not getting any help. Like he can get the ball and then there's really no, there was nobody to pass to. It just looked like every, every time the player got up, any player got up the field, it was kind of just, they would hit a wall and there would be no way to get forward. And it just didn't seem like there was anybody to combine or make runs or it was so static. It was really frustrating. Well, I think with Pepe, like, one of the things I was frustrated with watching the game, and again, I put a very big caveat on this, which is I did not watch a replay of the game. One time and it was enough <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, if I'm wrong, please uh, comment below, as it were. But uh, <laughs> it felt to me like Pepe was not even trying to make the runs. Like What I expect Pepe to do is make like run at players with the ball at his feet. I, I think that's where he can excel. But he was trying to make these passes, and I don't know if he wasn't getting the support. And then his passes were just awful, uh-huh. and he wasn't connecting or combining with anybody. And I'm like, it's like, I just, it also is the fact that I don't expect Pepe to make those cutting passes. That's like an Odegaard job. His job is to run at players and get into spaces. Yeah. And I don't know why he was, he just like insisted, like, I just, 
I have a visual in my head of three, maybe four passes that were just awful that he tried to make from that wing. It, and it didn't really feel like Liverpool was doing their normal high press. Like, you know, it, it felt like Arsenal just did not get, find a way into the game. And it was not even due to the fact that Liverpool were playing outstanding or anything. It was just like Arsenal, their best was simply not available. <laughs> like they're just, it, it just wasn't happening. And I, I, I have a really hard time putting my finger on what wasn't working other than they just did not seem creative, did not seem to have that extra level in them to do the the pressing, to have the technical ability to keep possession, to create ways out of that, that their own half of the field. Um, it was just really bereft of ideas. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I, could not think of a time where I was like, "Oh, they they found a way forward. They, there's a there's a chance." Like they had maybe a, like two shots on goal. I'm, I'm look, trying to find the stats right now. The uh, well, I, I it, remember going into the first half. What, what was the crazy thing is Liverpool had zero shots on goal, and mm-hmm. Arsenal had one shot on goal. But it was Liverpool had something like eight shots in total, and Arsenal had one shot, I believe, at halftime. And the the like the possession statistics were like absurd, so yeah, I don't like as you said like Liverpool weren't playing that great of a game. They their their strikers are not firing, and this was a, such a good opportunity for us to 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 take it to Liverpool. And it's it's not I'm not going to say that they don't Liverpool didn't deserve that three 0 win, but it was a, a Liverpool team that we could have very easily playing how we should be playing have gotten points off that team and instead we lose 3-0 and that's i think for me the 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 most frustrating part of it do you think there was a fatigue factor for some of these players coming back from playing three games in a couple weeks i mean if so like liverpool should have had it too mm-hmm. i I hesitate. I think there. I think there's a lot to be said that, that this was a shook-up team. You mentioned it earlier that you know this is much more looks like the team we had earlier in the season when we were going through our problems, and then when we finally found, you know, kind of our uh, our right mixture. And missing Saka and missing uh, Smith Rowe, I think, are huge misses. And I think this shows definitely how huge of a miss they are, and how dependent we are on those players. Yeah, one player you didn't mention. Um, and I think was really apparent and as bad as Ceballos played, I think it was really a, a big missing piece was Jaka and, and like just making Ed, first of all, I keep maintaining possession and getting the ball forward. I think that would have changed dramatically with him in the game. Um, getting Odegaard involved. I think that was, like I said, he was he was completely missing in this game. Uh, he just did not seem to be able to find a way to progress the ball, nor did he get much much coming to him. Like it's a, it just he was that link up between midfield and the forwards was just non-existent, and he got caught up in that um, as well. I don't think he had a particularly bad game on the ball when he had uh, the chance, but um, I look at this team and I wonder. Um, of the players that we had available, who who do we look to to have the individual ability to break out of these um, 
crummy starts, these like when when things are going horrible, who who is it that's going to step up? Um, well, I mean, and, and the Jacques and the Louise, when when you don't have those type of characters for big games, I think that uh, it, there's just a huge void when it comes to getting the team uh, rallied and, and pushing forward when things are going poorly. And I, I just, uh, nobody, I, I can't think of anybody on that field who would be able to take the, that pressure and turn it into motivation. Well, I mean, I think this goes back to a little bit. I, I've, captaincies are always, always overrated, I think, to a certain extent. But the, the, the captaincy on Obama Yang is such a vanity captaincy that mm. he, I don't, I don't think he motivates other players, and I've 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 heard like in the press or whatever, like especially the uh, Arsenal friendly press, that it's a it's a he's a quiet leader and he you know shows by example. Right. But if that's the example that he's showing, I'm I'm not exactly sure it's a good example. And again, I don't like forward players having the captaincy. I think you know putting it on Leno would be a better like I think Leno would be a probably a better firebrand or gosh I don't know even Party at this point someone who can be involved in the game. I mean, I know there's a lot of problems with this, but if Jacques were playing, I'd have him out of the captaincy. I totally see why he was captain, because at least he he cares about a game. Mm-hmm. And Aubameyang, it's like, why even have a captain with him as captain? Yeah. Um, let's stay on Aubameyang for a minute. Uh, what do you... We've, we've kind of talked that he's maybe needs a benching, but do you put this game, this game in particular, um, when we're talking about the game plan being kind of absorb pressure and counter, do you think it's down to where he was playing, what he was asked to do, or just a lack of whatever it is that would make him successful? Like the, whatever, whatever that, uh, missing piece to the captaincy that we we expect like i I kind of want want players that can overcome some of that uh pressure and and really take a game over you know put the team on their back and carry the team i've never expect that from him but do you feel like because he's lacking that quality that means he's um that's why he's having a, such a hard time in these big games. Or do you feel like it was just kind of the circumstances of what he was asked to do in this game? I, I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of it. He was asked to do more, more defensive work. And I do remember a tackle that he tackled back uh, during the game. So I think there is that aspect, but like, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I'm tired of like it being a positional thing because we put Obama Yang all over the pitch We've tried him in every role physically possible for this team, mm-hmm. and he hasn't taken any of them. And, you know, like supposedly this is his more preferred role coming off the left and cutting in. And it's it, it, like this game specifically, it's not working. It's just it, so I don't know what it's going to take. That's why, like, I'm kind of in the idea of benching him. Like, I don't say we have to like alienate him from the team and go like full Ozil on him or whatever. Right. But I uh, I think he needs to show a little bit of a drive to 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 want to be on the pitch and want to do it. And if he's not showing it, I just like you know like again like Martinelli like I I understand Martinelli's unproven and grass is always greener and I'm very wary of that. But at mm-hmm. this point, I'd 
I'd take any grass over just fertile, like uh, fallow fields of nothing, you know, <laughs> and at least Martinelli runs <laughs> and at least yes. Martinelli gets in positions. Yeah. I, um, I do find it strange, I guess, looking at what Arteta was trying to do that our, that Aubameyang was, was on that side. Um, and I do think there is a reluctance to put Martinelli in, in that left wing position, just because I think he, he does tend to get forward and, make those runs and and that's like that's a great thing but if you don't have defensive stability to kind of fill in that role which arguably Xhaka would be the player you'd want kind of filling in that midfield behind him because he would slide over and, and have that defensive cover if if Martinelli got forward and Tierney got forward Xhaka's your man um so I get why maybe with based on who who Arteta had available in this game uh Aubameyang was maybe the better choice, but God, it's just so bad. At, it's like, I don't want him playing defense. That's not the guy. Um, and, and I think he, he's one of those players. And I saw it a couple times in this game. I'm pretty sure he was, um, kind of culpable in one of those goals. Um, you know, he, he just, uh, kind of, he, he's in the right position, but then it's like you see that moment of hesitation where it's like, oh, yeah, that's my job to be that guy in front of him. Like he's just a, a, a step slow when it comes to defensive responsibilities. And uh, he remembers a little too late sometimes and, and pays for it. Uh, so if you, if you don't have a guy like Xhaka, if you don't have a tyranny available for a half, which we'll talk about in a minute, but yeah. um, you, you get left exposed and it, it leaves a lot, you know, to, to cover. Um, for a, a player that should be further up the field, I, having a bombing having, having to do a lot of that work was just um, unfortunate. And I, I don't know that Martinelli would have fared better over a full game, really, especially once tyranny went out. I mean, I think at the end of the game, you put him on because what do you have to lose? But I think over 90 minutes, he's maybe not the best choice in this set of circumstances. Yeah. And I do get that, but I, I think, it was just that uh, Aubameyang was so dead during the game. And I understand that mm-hmm. that part of that is just, you know, doing his defensive duties and, you know, playing the position, which if he weren't doing, we'd be criticizing him for not doing that. So right. I do appreciate that. But I think just when you saw Martinelli come in, there was just a spark. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you, you talk about what was missing from that game, a spark just, and I know that's not quantifiable or, easily shown in statistics or anything, but right. he was, you know, as I say with like about Clint Dempsey, he was just trying shit. He was doing things. Uh-huh. And I don't think Aubameyang really was, you know? Yeah. I, I, there, I recall a couple moments where he, he got the ball maybe in our half and it just looked like he, he looked up and just had, you could almost see this moment of recognition of like, Oh, I have to get from here way down there. And I don't know how I'm going to take this ball and get it there. Like yeah. it just, and then he he's dispossessed or, you know, makes a bad pass. And it's like, oh yeah, this guy should be on the receiving end of the ball much further up the field. And that's where he's going to get, we're going to get the most out of him. He needs to be on the end of crosses. He needs to be chasing down long balls, not trying to dribble past guys. He's not Pepe. I mean, Pepe questionable whether he's, he's that guy either, but, um, I don't expect Aubameyang to take on 
two or three guys and and suddenly break loose that far in our own half. Like it's just not going to happen. He needs to be further up the field. And that, that sort of thing was not happening this entire game. And it makes me think like, um, you know, if you had the personnel to do it, he would have been much better up top. I don't think I expect um, Lacazette to be the guy on the end of counter or, you know, on a counterattacking strategy, I would not put Lacazette up, up top. He's a whole, he's a great holdup guy. He does good things in the box, but if you can't get the ball up, he, he's not going to break. He's not going to beat guys on the counter. Like that's not who you really want leading the charge. And, even with that strategy in place, it wasn't like Pepe and Aubameyang were finding a lot of success getting into space behind their defenders either. So it was, we were looked like the personnel might have been a little bit wrong, but also just with the players that that were on the field, they just were not finding success. They they were not making the runs or were not able to because they were pinned back too much. So from the get go, the strategy was just not clicking not working and i i don't know um based on what arteta's expectations were if it was i mean he he took the blame for it at the end of the game he said this is on this one's on me i did the wrong thing and that's um maybe sometimes what you want to hear from a coach uh but i i gotta wonder if if some of these players really let him down or or didn't really fulfill their duties as or if it was really was arteta just getting it wrong I mean, I think a game like this is a full team failure and it is like, we, yeah. we, I, I think you and I are fairly uh, pro Arteta and tend to, you know, deflect a little blame from Arteta often. Sure. Uh, and I think there is some blame that he can take for it. I think, you know, he did get the tactics wrong for whatever reason, because we did lose three nil. And I think, you know, we were soaking up a ton of pressure and it was partially to do to how we were set up. But I think we also have to take a look at, the players themselves on the pitch. And then mm-hmm. this is also a loss that you can be attributed to years of mismanagement of buying players. The fact that <laughs> we have Sabayas on the field isn't necessarily Sabayas's fault at this point. We can take mm-hmm. a look at our, 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 uh, uh, you know, management and say that in a front office and say that maybe we should have better options than just Sabayas in midfield, you know? We can take a look at it's something I mentioned before he signed his contract. Obama Yang's contract was that a good contract to get locked into an older player for three years that we knew was only going to get maybe plateau and only get worse after that. Like so, it, when it, when when you look at this game, it's it's a failure throughout the entire organization and not just you know an Arteta or the players on the field. I got to look at this game though and think. Specifically with Aubameyang, is that he isn't really being set up for success in the first place. Like he was already struggling, but you're asking him to play defense and try to do a lot with very little. Like I, I think um, having him play on the wing against you know England's arguably best one of England's best players in Trent Alexander Arnold, like. He was he was there both to defend against him and to try to beat him. I, I don't think Aubameyang had a chance. I mean, that was that's pretty that that was going to be a pr- pretty tough assignment for him. 
Um, and especially in the second half, once we lost Tierney, that left side was a mess. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows you how important certain players, I, I know we mentioned it earlier, that like when you lo- lose a Tierney, when you lose a, a Jaka, which it sounds funny to say, but and more specifically, when you lose a Saka and a Smith Rowe, like how weak is this team that you start losing these players and then your your team just kind of straight up falls apart? Yeah, it's a it's a very fragile side, and and I think you can get away with one or two of those. But like I said, Louise Smith Rowe, Saka, uh, Jaka, like four pretty major players to making this side work. That's a lot. I mean, that is a very different side. Two thirds of the Jaka Saka Laka Trinity, right? right? Yeah, so we, we we struggle to create things out of thin air, and we found this, like this one very specific thing that seemed to work with with having Smith Rowe in there and having Saka in there, and you can you can take out one or two of those. You can have some rotation, but the wholesale uh, change against a, a Liverpool side who. I, I don't want to say we underestimated them. I mean, they they have not been playing well. They they were definitely there are things that were exploitable. They have center backs who are pretty. Uh, I would say they're they're pretty weak. If if we would have been able to get the ball into positions where we put them under pressure, we probably could have found some success. But everything else was just not set up to get us in the right position with the ball. Like it just, it, it never happened. I mean, all due respect to Liverpool, I just, they were, they didn't play a great game against us. They won three nil and they didn't play a great game. And I think that is the most damning thing about this game. Mm -hmm. And that's not like, you know, I think of like Man City and I'm like, oh yeah, even on their worst day, they can still find ways to win. This Mm -hmm. wasn't even that. This was just Arsenal being so bad that any team could have come in and beaten us. I mean, I mean, that's why we've lost to like some very beatable teams. Is when we're our worst, we are, we deserve to be towards the bottom when we're our worst. So there's a reason mm-hmm. we were in the bottom earlier. It's, it's it, not on paper we deserve to be there, but when we our players play like they've played today or the last game, we yeah, deserve. Yeah, I, I think there was a, a tweet going around after the game from Gunner Blog talking about how you know this. When, when you play like this, when your team is, when the players that you have are this mediocre, when you're sitting in ninth place, if it pretty much saying, if it looks like a duck, you know, it, you are a mid table team. Like that's pretty much the way we played and the, the lineup that we put out, it was, um, it was not a team that looked ready to be in the top four or even push for the top six. Not to say we can't be that team and haven't been that team other weeks, but the team that showed up against Liverpool was nowhere near the level that we need to be at to get through the rest of the season and make a push in the Premier League. Well, I mean, I, I always I do this comparison a lot of times on national team comparisons, especially when people talk about the English national team because I don't rate the English national team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll just say it. What players on Arsenal would start for Liverpool and in that lineup that played what players would play from Arsenal would start on Liverpool? I don't know that anybody would start. 
I think these are we have we have a great go. Liverpool bench. Maybe Tierney. Maybe but Tierney. I mean, um, yeah. And, and it's yeah, I think I think Tierney of the of the lineup that we had, Tierney for sure. But um, the the Odegaard that showed up, the Odegaard that that was in that game, wouldn't wouldn't get into that Liverpool lineup. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk. We have a question about Odegaard, so I want to save some of my ammo for that. But mm-hmm. I mean, that that's just. I hate to say it and it's not something that brings me joy, but it's something I've been coming to terms with over the last couple of years is that Arsenal isn't that top four team that we've grown to accustomed to. And mm-hmm. until, and it doesn't mean that we can't be in the future. You know, Liverpool was very much in our same position about three, four years ago before Klopp came. And it doesn't mean we can't compete, but it does mean we have to be smart about our players our team and how we go going forward. And, you know, we've just wasted so much money that it's, we're in a dangerous spot. We're in a very precarious spot right now. And I don't, I know we'll go when we have the long off season, we can talk about this a little bit, but you know. So let me, let me check in with you on this as far as where we're, where we're at right now. Um, was this, uh, one of the, growing pain sort of games that you would expect with a, a relatively new coach or is this a sign that maybe Arteta's tenure should be shorter than long, longer? <laughs> I'm going to say that's neither at this point. It's I, I, okay. I, I don't think it's either A or B on that situation. I think I don't think it's a growing pain. I think it is a very good measuring stick of where we are as a team. And again, I don't think this is a manager thing. It's easy to blame a manager. I don't think it is necessarily all the players on the pitch are just garbage and we should get rid of all of them. Although there's a little bit of that thought in my head. I think it's a sign of a team that's been in decline for four years. And let's be honest, that's where we have been probably longer than four years, but really, and not being able to deal with it correctly and not making correct decisions at a board level that we get this team that's just not good enough to play Liverpool. I know we have, Mm -hmm. when, if we had a full strength team, we'd have a different story, but the team that was on the field was not good enough to play Liverpool and we got shown. Mm -hmm. It's just straight up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're right that it was a, a failure you know, when you look at the players that we do have, that's a failure of the the ownership and the management. When you look at the players that were put on the field, that's and the strategy that was used, that's a failure of the manager. And when you look at the performance as far as the individual um, technical ability shown in this team in this game, it was just not up to the level that you need uh, to have success in the Premier League. Plain and simple. Um, so yeah, failures all across the board, and uh, you know when we when we get the three three goal comeback, uh, it papers over the cracks. But the we got to be honest that that get that should have been a win. Um, you know, like we could have done better there. And there's too many games you can point to this season where we could have and should have done better. And I get that we, there have been like to come back three goals down is fantastic, but to lose 
by three goals is is not. So we're teetering in the wrong direction overall. And it, it even though we're going to be playing some easy teams to finish out this season, they still have to do it. Like they have, yeah. it, it, it's all hypothetical, but it, it, the um, the idea that it's an easy run into the end of the season is is only easy if you actually show up and do the work and and perform. And based on what we saw, that's that's going to be pretty tough. At least in the in the Premier League, I uh, we will talk about Europa League because that's I think those are. That's where we have to focus now after this game. I think that um, if you can't beat the teams in front of you, it's going to be really hard to make progress in the Premier League. So it's down to finding our way through the Europa League at this point. Well, I mean, speaking of the Europa League, I think we squeezed as much juice as I want to get out of (laughs) this Premier League game and as many tears out of my eyes. (laughs) So how about we move on to uh, hopefully more... uh, Positive look. What are you? What are you? What are you thinking about the Slavia Prague game coming up this week? Well, I uh, God that beer. <laughs> I saw you take a sip, and I was waiting for you just to like fall over backwards on your chair. It's just the back end. It's just, ah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, what was the question? <laughs> the question was about Slavia Prague and how you feel about uh, uh, the game coming up this week. Yeah. So. I think, you know, there's a lot of controversy around this team right now. Um, and that, that aside, I think as far as the, the overall level of, of Slavia Prague, I'm not concerned about, um, they, they have done well to get this far. Um, but I think if we, if we're able to get a a, a couple guys back, if we're able to get a Xhaka and a, a Asaka and you know two of the three guys of the four guys that we were missing would be a huge improvement, um, and I think we would be able to hang in and and get a good result from this first leg. And I'm not really too concerned if we get the personnel back. If this if this team that played Liverpool has to go out and do the same thing on. Thursday, I'm a little more concerned. Like I, I don't know mentally if they have what it takes. I don't know. Um, technically, I like it, there's a lot of questions I have based on on who played and what we got out of them against Liverpool. I, not to say that Liverpool and Pro- Slavia Prague are <laughs> anywhere near each other, but um, I, I'm feeling like I have to ex- expect the worst, and then. Uh, be pleasantly surprised if they do do really well if that's the team that that gets put out there. Well, I mean, I, and I don't know the uh, the injury kind of prognosis, but I think even the team that we put out against uh, Slavia or against uh, Liverpool, maybe minus Abayos, who I am definitely am on the uh, drop <laughs> mm-hmm. camp. Uh, they yeah so they beat Rangers and they had a good last round and they have a had a good like a uh, series against round Rangers, but it is a team that we would normally face in the group stage type of thing and mm-hmm. normally, you know, handle. So I would expect that those players, even the the, the players we put out against Liverpool, could handle a, a, a Slavia Prague. My my hope is that we don't get too caught up 
in a, a, a kind of that loss and then a downward slide and get too far in, in our heads. If we play our game, we should be able to win. My hope with this, the, the, the home fixture is that we just, we hold it. We don't get any away goals and we go to them, you know, ideally it would be a two nil. That'd be my, like, that's my, my slow prediction. I but I would take a one nil easy. Yeah. The clean sheet is for me the most important thing at home at this point. Yeah, I um, I feel like I sh- I I would normally be pretty confident. I the injury thing and, and the absences are concerning, but I think between the two legs we'll find success. So I think you know if we can't get everybody back for this first leg, um, there's time to recover. So it's nice that we're still get another another week to try to get some get a result if we need it um but like what what is your feeling now uh do you feel like Europa League is is it like is this is this all we have left 100% like losing to Liverpool and just like I was looking at the table right before we came on and I'm like yeah there's there's no way we're getting anywhere near Europa spots unless we have some sort of miracle run uh-huh. and sort of other teams have less miracle runs, but I'm I, <laughs> the opposite of that. Yes. Disasters. There's just there's too many teams piled ahead of us. So this is our only way, not just into Champions League, but our our only way into Europe, which will again be a discuss part of a discussion we have later about Odegaard. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, like at this point, I'm just like we're not going to get relegated. I don't. I think it's actually. I shouldn't say this because there's probably a mathematical probability that we could get relegated. But at this point, I don't think I have to worry about relegation. And I, I would say just like use the league as training, maybe getting some of these younger players up to speed and put all our eggs into the uh, Europa League basket. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's um, it's going to be tough to do much movement in the Premier League. Um, and at this point... I just like to get above eighth, like just to improve on last season. Like it's a small victory, but it would feel like, Hey, maybe we're going slightly in a better direction. Um, Finishing below eighth, I think will feel much worse, even though it's, it it doesn't really matter either way. I just feel like um, you have to take the victories where you can and, and try to uh, build something for next year. Uh, at least in the Premier League side, but yeah, yeah I think you got to you got to put everything you can into Europa League at this point. I think that's our that's our main chance to get anything out of the season. And um, yeah, I think based on the rotation, we we got to we got to put our our A A team on the Europa League side at this point. Even if Slavia Prague is not a huge huge uh opponent we we still need to make sure that we we um get get through the this round and onto the next i did see yeah. like ix lost blind so you know if we if somehow we get get them in our next round that might not be such a bad thing because i think he was kind of their main guy as far as yeah. creating things there so wouldn't wouldn't be bad if we got into the next round and got them but you know we'll see how things go <laughs> 
I'm, yeah, not, I'm looking ahead already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's always a dangerous thing. And just one uh, of the things I wanted to bring up with this, uh, the Slavia team is, and their fans and everything is just the, uh, the racism around them. And mm-hmm. it's something that, uh, is very unfortunate <laughs> and yeah. it's, uh, you know, we saw that with the, the fans putting that racist banner out for against, uh, one of the Rangers players and also one of the actual uh, players for Slavia is not coming because he's sick. You saw my air quotes, and if you watch the video, but they're basically <laughs> the English police are going to, would question them, or if they come to uh, England to talk about uh, you know criminal charges for racism, as well as mm-hmm. the there's apparently a fracas in the tunnel, and it's unfortunate. But the other side of it is to. I think a lot of people who follow Eastern European soccer will also try and remind people who follow English soccer that racism isn't unknown on English teams as well. And you saw it with the reaction to the the, the fans kneeling during the uh, uh, when they come back in Millwall, for example, their fans were booing players as they were kneeling for uh, the uh, the racial justice. And I, I just want to say it as Arsenal fans it wasn't that long ago that we were using slurs for Tottenham that were just completely unacceptable. And I, I just want to remember or remind everyone that racism is something that affects all clubs and not just Eastern European teams that mm-hmm. we have, we have to look inside ourselves and remember to be uh, vigilant and uh, aware of it. Yeah. I mean, you look at, a, um, you know, this week Thierry Henry announced that he was leaving all social media until, um, some of the harassment and uh, racism that uh, goes on online starts getting addressed. And I think he, he compared it to um, the copyright claims and how those get snuffed out immediately. But you look at some of the harassment that players have to deal with uh, online and it, it just goes by the wayside. And so fan, fans and, um, you know, the, the fact that it, it's, both fans and players are culpable of this is uh, it's, it's nowhere near being gone. You know, it's, it's coming from every direction and it affects everybody. It affects top players. It affects lower level players. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, we saw that happen in this uh, game over the weekend with Valencia. Um, you know, they had to walk off the field uh, and then were threatened to, um, you know, they would lose points if they left and they had to come back and finish the game. But um, another another example of racist comments in the middle of the game and they were um, ready to walk away from it. And that's that says a lot. I mean, these are these are guys that want to compete, um, but it's gotten to the point where they have to make this choice whether to play the game that they love or. Uh, defend their, you know, their fellow players, and that's like that's that should never be on the table. Uh, it, it, and and the top top level of of management of ownership of, um, you know, of of FIFA, UEFA, whoever it is, they should be taking notice and doing everything they can. I mean, our Arsenal has been um, more vocal about it in the wake of uh, Henri's actions, like they've stepped up with their um, messaging to try to, to snuff out the, the harassment and, and racism things. And then there's the kneeling before the games and there's lots of talk about it, but I think there needs to be 
real legitimate action taken by the um, federations and soccer as a whole to do more to punish people who um, say and do things that are damaging mentally to to uh, their fellow players and and it's it's just not right to have all this extra stuff this is a, should be about the game and that's the bottom line what well, i just like it's it's funny it's uh, another podcast i listen to always does, like does this analogy could you imagine another workplace where if you're getting harassed like racially or sexually or anything like that from other like people around that would just be like oh no you still have to do your work you know, like, yeah, you know, or just, you know, shrug, it off. Ge- a general shrug, you know, that's yeah. pretty much what you're, what you're getting out of it. And so I, I think this, like, there's a lot of this that, I mean, it falls on us, like as fans that we should definitely, if we see it, call it out. And I mm-hmm. hope, you know, we will continue to do that in our podcast and just mention that this is happening and it's real. And if we see it, call it out. But I think it falls also on UEFA, FIFA, these governing bodies to, to really clamp down on it. And I know in, in places like Slavia, Prague, and like, it's hard for them because these people that are doing this racist, racist abuse are part of the club and they literally pick the president of the club. So it's like, it's this like kind of weird cycle of like, so you can't really do that internal like fix of it. It really does have to come from UEFA and, things like that shouldn't just be shrugged off. It's just like, Oh, it's just the fans. And like, how do you punish the players for the fans when you realize that like, these are actual clubs and that punishing the clubs does punish the fans, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I I don't know what the immediate solution is. That's going to work for every situation. It's tough. It's a tough situation to um, be in for, you know, for the players, for, for anybody involved really. Um, but it shouldn't just be something that goes ignored and it feels like there's no, you know, sort of some platitudes and some words that are said by, uh, teams and other groups and, and, you know, the kneeling and, and things that draw attention to it are, are all good. And I think it's good that we're having these conversations, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we can be good fans and not, not say those things or do those things and watch our teams and support and do all this stuff. But I can't do anything about Slavia Prague. I can't do anything about the players on the field that are saying these things. Um, I can't not support, not support them any more than I'm not supporting them now. So there has to be something else done at a higher level that addresses these things because we as fans have very little control over other fans. You know, we can, we can say it's not okay within Arsenal. We could say we have an effect on what our team does. I think as fans, we, we can make noise when things aren't going right. And that usually has an effect. And I think Arsenal is very aware and and not going to ignore the fan base as far as that stuff goes. So they're reactive and understanding, but what happens when the fan base is all for this sort of thing? Like you're talking about, like, how do you, how do you address that? There is no easy fix to uh, appease an entire fan base when you have a very loud faction that's for this sort of thing. And, and then if you, even if you don't have that sort of thing where you have a full supporters group, that's, um, doing racist or, you know, any, any sort of negative thing towards another player, another team. Um, 
you know, if it's just individuals like online, it's very difficult for a team to do anything about that. Um, so there's lots of different things that need to happen, but they need to happen at a higher level. And um, we as fans just have to continue to show our dis- disapproval for it so that people continue to understand um, that something has to change. Yeah. And as I say, um, really in our own house, we have to look for it ourselves. As I say, Arsenal fans are not ex- excluded from this as a, you know, I do remember hearing some very so- very bad songs and did not get me wrong i dislike tottenham but hearing some of the, the 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 racial slurs that have been thrown at them in the past is is just is not chill so just you know remember it happens in our house as well you know right i think we, there's nobody that's above or beyond it we have to continue to to fight against it it's not just something that we should assume is not happening or won't happen again if we let our guard down. Mm-hmm. Um, All that being said, Slavia Prague, let's just beat them so we don't have to talk about this anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At least with them. We could just put them behind us and let them, you know, let the police deal with, with them. <laughs> uh, beyond that game on Thursday, we, we also have Sheffield United coming up on the weekend. Um, which, you know, I, I think going going into Europa League, I think that's the highest priority. Um, but, you know, Sheffield uh, is very beatable uh, and should be very beatable. But it, it kind of d- depends on how the chips fall as, as far as our lineup goes. And, um, you know, let's it, let's see if we can turn this thing around on, in the Europa League. But there there's some work to be done still in the premier league. Like it's not time to just fall apart. Yeah. And as I say, like all the eggs are in the Europa league basket and I'm not as like do or die as far as the league, but as far as like a game against Sheffield, like we are better to like, I, I, again, I don't, I'm trying not to be over confident or whatever, but we are a better team than Sheffield United. Sheffield United are garbage. This They're year. literally last. So yeah. if we can't beat them, we are, and we don't deserve yeah. anything. And very, like, very close to historically bad. They were very yeah. close to that Derby team or Derby team uh, a couple years back, or more than a couple years back, that were in the Premier League that held the, the record for losses. Uh, yeah, they're just they they're they're garbage. And sorry, they I shouldn't say garbage, but they're not a good team. And. <laughs> And Arsenal shouldn't have any trouble, even with, again, the lineup that we put out against Liverpool. That lineup should be able to beat the Sheffield team. I would hope so. I, 14 points. 14 yeah. points to show for their whole season. That's pretty... I mean, I mean the, wins. The caveat or, with that... Me, four wins. The caveat with them is that they've... Uh, you know, the, the shackles are off. They know they're going down, so there's less pressure on them game to game. That being said, we're going to have an interesting pod if if we don't beat them. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you can't beat the last place team, it, 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 it's, the pressure is is on Arteta to to come out of the season with something. But if yeah. you if you completely implode, um, then all bets are off with how this off season goes. I. I I think you you have to try to have something to show, make a good run with Europa League, 
but don't you can't com- completely fall apart in the Premier League either. I think there there is a, a level that we need to try to continue to play at and, and find ways to improve. Um, 10th place just isn't good enough. And I, I think that's, that there's time to make up some ground with the schedule that we have. But while it's not the highest priority, I, I fully expect to win a lot of these games. Um, I think that's just the minimum expectation we should have. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally just don't know much more to say about this game other than we have to win. Like we don't have to win this game, but there's no, but we have to win this game. Oh no, it's just, there's I mean, no excuse <laughs> to not win this game. Like yeah. there, there's no, no hiding. There's no anything. Just like this game is beyond winnable. And I, yes. I will be extremely disappointed. I mean, to be honest, like if it's like a scrappy win, that's fine. Like it's just like, it literally has to be three points. And I don't, I don't want any excuses for it not being three points, right? And it shouldn't matter uh, what the rotation is. I feel like the, the any squad we put out there should be able to beat this team. Although I think they didn't they beat Liverpool. I think that's one of their wins. Is they beat Liverpool, if I remember correctly. Uh, let's see. Not. The most recent play against Liverpool. Let's see, what did they play them early? They had a scalp. One of their the, the four wins was actually a very uh, crazy team. I think Liverpool beat them, but yeah, I don't know. I, I could scroll back through all their games. Yeah, I should, probably should have. They did done more research. <laughs> <laughs> their last last win was against Villa back in early March. Oh, that's right. Um. But yeah, there's not not a lot of not a lot of games to point to that were big successes for them. No. But um, yeah, it's it's very very important that Arsenal find a way to to have a good game, get a good game out of that. I think it's uh, a, a confidence thing to you need to beat the last place team for sure. Oh, they beat um, you. That's who who I was thinking. Oh, is that yeah? Checks out and you suck. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we should take a little break there. Somehow we've squeezed out an hour already. So let's, let's take a a quick break. And when we come back, we'll answer your questions in one moment. All right. Welcome back from the break. We've got a few questions from you guys, and uh, Tim is going to kick us off with the first one. Uh, our first question is from uh, Charles Allison, and it's a it's a great question. It's a question I've been thinking about ever since I saw it posed. Which is, he ha- I have a challenge. Can you think of a single positive we can take out of the Liverpool game? Because I'm stumped. Um, I think. Any Martinelli sighting is a good, <laughs> good thing right now. Um, and he looked, he looked decent. Like he was getting into space. He was taking guys on. Um, he didn't have much time to work with. He came in. Oh, uh, uh, when did he come in? He was in the 77th minute. So he, like 22 minutes to, or no, not 22 maths. Math is hard. 
uh, yeah. Well, About he had a quarter of the time. game. Yeah. Yeah. He had some, he had some time. So that was good. Um, so I, I, I think if I had to think of anything that was positive, it would be that, um, and that's not a, not to say he had a ton to show for his, his few minutes on the field, but I think any, any time we can get him in, in the game and he can have some, a little bit of positivity. I think that's good to get him in uh, Arteta's mind. Uh, I hope he gets time on Thursday because I think that would be really beneficial, uh, especially with the way Aubameyang's playing. I would like, love to see him on Thursday. I would adore yeah. to see him on Thursday, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> How about you? Is there was was that your positive, or is there something else you were able to come up with? The only and I, as I said, I thought thought about this long and hard, and the only positive I could come up with was that at least for a good chunk of the game, it showed that we can soak up pressure. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily great. But does, like, I, Does I, letting in three goals count as soaking it up? Though? Not for the full game. <laughs> I'm talking that's about like a, That's like one of those paper towel commercials where they show yeah. the bad paper towels and it's just completely sopping wet. Yeah, that's the, not absorbent. It's dripping. <laughs> only uh, like, you know, as opposed to having it for like, five minutes of like the paper towel for like 30 seconds. It <laughs> held up. I, I thought there was like, there was some defensive. They didn't, they went into the half, Yeah, you know, tied up. Yeah. So there was, there was a good half in there, but then I mean, I wouldn't, changed. I, I wouldn't go so far to say it was a good half, but it was a, a half. They were which, in it. Yeah. In which we soaked up pressure. And that was the only positive is that if we ever in a situation where we have like a cup final where we know we have to soak up pressure. I feel like we do have the tools to do it if we stick to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that being said, your response is exactly right. We did lose a game three, nothing, but it, it, it really did feel like once that one go, it went in, it was, it was kind of a lost cause. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like a, I don't know if you watch a, like a Atletico Madrid very much, but they're a team that ba- basically plays the old Arsenal way of one nil wins, mm-hmm. and you know if 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 they get a goal in, it's just going to all fall apart. And I that's exactly what happened with Arsenal: is you you let that goal in, and then you have to chase the game. And once once you've set up to be soaking up pressure, and you're chasing the game, it just yeah, yeah. That uh, it didn't really open things up as much as you would have thought, like them. <laughs> Yeah, it it was uh, it was pretty rough. It didn't ever look like Arsenal was were really willing to mount a comeback. Like yeah. it was a very different feeling um, compared to the the previous game. Yeah. So I think we spent like forty five minutes talking about all the horrible things, and we had about a minute and a half of our positives, which is Martinelli. That's it. And soaking up pressure in the first half. That's pretty bad. <laughs> I wish we could give a more full answer to that question. I wish there was a... Uh, I, that's all there was. That, that's all I could... And I literally thought about this for hours. <laughs> um, okay, I got I got one for you here, here from Tim Whittem. Um He says, I think we have to address the Klopp and Odegaard moment because it, it has Liverpool fans laughing and Arsenal fans pissed off. This post-match hugging and chatting when you've just put in a terrible performance, a terrible performance is grating. 
I mean, I think my first answer to this, and by the way, hi, Tim, but uh, my, my, my first answer to this is I don't think he had a terrible performance, to be honest. I think there were much worse players on the field for Arsenal than Odegaard. I just don't mm-hmm. think it was a vintage performance. And I, he's not our player. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't blame him really at all. He's a, he's a loney. He's here for, you know, six months, if that. Uh, I mean, and let's, let's be real honest. This is like the real tea being spilled here. I don't see him staying with us at all. You know, why? Like, I mean, if you're looking at that performance that we just played, why should he be that attached to Arsenal? Like, why right. should he be? They couldn't even get him involved in the game, really. Yeah, I don't really put much of that on him. And and you know, he's yeah, chatting up Klopp. Klopp's, from what I understand, a very affable person, very like you know, kind and nice. And to be honest, he's the type of player that Liverpool is going to sign. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to go to Liverpool, but like, I just don't blame him because I also don't. And again, this is maybe the uh, the beer talking or whatever. But like, why would he sign for Arsenal? You know, like why 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 should he be hitching? His he's a young player. He has a million clubs to choose from right now. And why like why why should he be hitching his horse to us? So like, yeah, would I prefer him not to be being super buddy buddy with a. Uh, with a uh, clop in front of the cameras, sure, but I'm sure after, like in the tunnel, was probably a much more interesting discussion that they had together. And you know, like I just, I just can't be that mad. I think there, I I read this and, and immediately thought of um, the uh, the Jordan documentary and and just the, that level of competitiveness and this idea that. Um, players should be pissed off and angry and and hyper competitive to the point where even chatting up the opponent opponent's coach after the game would not even like. I think there's an idea that this would not have happened in previous teams, um, like the Arsenal of old wouldn't have allowed that that sort of thing to happen. Um, I think sport has changed. I think that that's that is some people who are very competitive, and I think that is very select kind of player, and that's fine. But I don't think as a team that that is where we're at. Um, I would expect it would be different with Tottenham, but with other teams, like we might be competitive with Liverpool in this hypothetical top six, bleh, whatever, you know, like historically we're lumped in this, this same group, but, um, while we've, you know, traded some hits, it, we're not even playing in the same realm. Really. We're not in the champions league. We're not really in the top six right now. Um, we're just, we're not on that same level. So I feel like that's, um, you can be competitive and not talk to other teams or, you know, be pissed off and storm into the locker room after a loss and be very hard. And and that's a way that some players will approach it. But I think as a team, it's difficult to expect um, that level of intensity these days. I just feel like that is, that's not where we're at. That doesn't seem to be the Arsenal culture. Maybe that's how it is on other teams. Maybe that's how people want it to be. 
I just don't think that's where we're at right now. So I don't, I don't know if I can expect that too much. Oh, and especially from Maloney, a player who, let, I mean, let's, we're paying his wages and that is fair enough. But he's, he knows he's not going to be here for the long term. We know he's not going to be here for the long term. Like, I, I just can't imagine a player getting like that, like, pissed off you know like he, he and you know it's not like we can blame Odegaard for not really performing for us this is like one offish game again I, I would quibble with the word terrible I don't think he had a terrible game I just don't think he had a great game yeah um and it's one game after having several really good games for us and you know, why why should he be all storm and bluster for Arsenal and me throwing things around he 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 doesn't have the investment, and and, and it sucks as a fan to to say that because you you want the players to have the same love for the team you do, and it's why you appreciate certain players that do. You know, mm-hmm. it's why you appreciate a tyranny. It's why you appreciate certain players that have that. But you know, as you said, it's you know it is a different game nowadays, and you know players come and go, <laughs> and as much as we expect the like we 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 have this love for the team i think sometimes we're easy we're we're we can let players go very easily too and like just throw them to the wayside so like why like loyalty should be a two-way street and sometimes i think fans have a different expectation for the players than the we would you know the players of us you know mm-hmm. yeah i think that we've got um a tenuous grasp on odegaard at all so having too high expectations of him it would be foolish i think we and and i do i i guess the the question is do i expect other players to act differently like if if it was somebody else would you be more upset that they were talking with klopp after the game instead of being hard on themselves or you know being upset that they lost i mean i think there is a a a certain thing of it. it is just Liverpool and it is not like a, a, a rival there's there's less heat on the game yeah we lost 3-0 and you can be disappointed but I don't know like, I, I think sometimes it's also like you expect these people to do, like put on this performance of how sad they are yeah and you know maybe maybe Odegaard is sad but you I've had bad moments, but I'm still able to talk to people. Like I remember, you know, at Sounders games where I've seen the game lost and I'm like emotionally destroyed, but I'm still able to talk to my friends and have a beer, you know, like, right. It's, 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 you can, people can compartmentalize things and you don't need to like have this like big show of him, like after the game, like pounding the ground and crying. Like, <laughs> like and that's expect? not everybody's personality. Yeah. I don't think we should expect that from every player. Um, and you, you, you should have those personalities in the locker room. I think that, that that's kind of the type of thing that you should have around. But if you had, um, if all 11 players on the field were that intense, it would be really difficult. I think you have to have a rounded group of personalities that, that deal with these sorts of things in their own way. Um, so when you lose, you're going to have 11 different reactions. Nobody's going to deal with it the same way. Um, they might feel bad, but I, I think it's, uh, silly to expect Arsenal to have a uniform reaction to, to losing to Liverpool. Um, 
or to anybody for that matter. And and I think there there should be cultural expectations set by Arteta and what he how he expects players to um, react. But I think he, his expectation is more like show up on Thursday and, and react there. Like that's how you show me that you're pissed off that you lost, you know, come out the next game and, and yeah, fix it. Exactly. And that's the way it should be. I mean, at the end of the day too, like I've played uh rec league soccer against my buddies and during the game it's intense. And like, I've, you know, sworn at some players, maybe done a foul or two I shouldn't have done against like <laughs> my friends or like people I know. But then after the game, like, you know, we, we'll, we'll be hugging, like, how you react after a game doesn't necessarily show how you played during the game or how you will play in the future, you know? Right. I mean, I wouldn't want like a huge, like love around with like a big like circle and everyone like high-fiving each other after the game necessarily, but you know, one player, one time against a a manager who I think even if I were on that field, I'd probably say hi to him because he seems like a very nice guy. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not too, too worried about, I mean, if it was Mourinho, I'd be more upset. Yeah. Uh, all right. Why don't you snag this next question? All right. The next question is from uh, Florian, a friend of the pod, Florian. A player of ours, Lacazette, was bleeding on the field and the referees didn't even think about checking the VAR for possible serious foul play. And that's just, it's, it's not a question. It's just a statement. But I think the way that it's set up currently, a call has to be made for them to say whether it was a bad call. They're not looking to make every call that, that is available to them on the field. It is about correcting mistakes that the, the referee made. So if he doesn't make a call, there's no mistake to correct. They cannot make, they cannot correct a phantom call. So that's just how it works. It's stupid. I, I hate VAR. And this is my like monthly tirade about VAR. And like, if you see me on the, uh, the video, I'm like just rubbing my face. Like I, <laughs> I, I, as I said, I've been following soccer for like more than 30 years. I, I feel like I have a fair grip of the rules. I'm not a referee. I've never taken referee courses, but I have a fair grip of the rules. And I don't understand what can and can't be called a VAR at this point. I don't understand the point of VAR. I don't think it's improved my life at all. I can almost see for for on offsides calls. I'm kind of coming around to VAR for offsides because that's a binary decision. You know, either it's on or it's off, and that's that's cool. I think I saw something about them changing that to be more automatic. Yeah. Um, where they they're not drawing lines and stuff. They're just kind of like it's it's a computer thing that is just done instantly, and they're able to make that call. So I, I hope that that happens so that it is binary, like you said. Yeah, I mean it should be, and I, I can see a way forward for that. Just like goal line technology, I've I've always been okay with goal line technology. It works. It's awesome. Done. Yeah. VAR. I just like because it, it's it's just so. It doesn't matter. And like anytime I see something go against Arsenal, I just assume it's going to go against Arsenal. And, you know, we haven't had luck with it. I don't necessarily understand why some things get called and other things don't on VAR. I don't understand some of the reviews sometimes. I don't understand why they'll pull go, go back sometimes for a foul that happened like, you know, 
a minute behind, but sometimes they won't. And like, it's so wishy-washy and not binary that I, I just don't think it adds value to the game. And as from a fan experience, and it would be interesting to hear player experience, but from a fan experience, I don't think I'm happier watching games with VAR. Do you, do you find yourself uh, enjoying games more with VAR? Uh, not really. I just, the, the way it's set up, I think is just inherently wrong. I think the way that it's set up in the premier league is wrong. I think other leagues have a different framework that makes it make sense a little bit more, but it's never going to be perfect. Um, you have a set of rules that are purposely written to be, uh, up to the discretion and interpretation of the individual individual referee so that each um, game, each moment can have context. When you're trying to slap something on top of that, that is not, um, that's trying to rein in the uh, interpretation and the context and all these things and, and make it something very um, simple. I think it, you lose a lot of the nuance um, that, you know, the, the guy in the booth that is reviewing things is, is allowed to, and supposed to interpret the rules differently. Um, if, if he's just looking to decide if the guy on the field is wrong, it's subjective. It's not objective. Like each each referee is going to look at the game differently. They're going to look at the situation differently. I think the the um, the idea that uh, they're going to contradict the the referee on the field uh, consistently and fairly is just not realistic. Uh, I think it's a it's it's a flawed system and a flawed con, uh, way to contextualize the, the, um, the system in, in, in general. Like, I, I just don't think you can look for a clear and obvious, um, mistakes and, and consider that the, um, way to make the game more fair. That just looks like you're trying to either critique or not critique the referee themselves. Um, and it has nothing to do with the, the game, the players, the, there's just so many things that are, uh, tossed out at that point and it doesn't, it doesn't really work. We've seen it over and over again. It just doesn't make sense. And, and I think offsides make sense. Like it's a common sense thing. Everything else it's, it doesn't make sense. So I think we need to just severely limit what VAR does and then, find a way forward from there well it's like a, or open it up and have vr do everything oh like right now it's just maybe too narrow no please <laughs> well it's just well i mean like it, if, if you're gonna do it stop looking at with the context of what the referee called mm-hmm. you know just look if if i were to look at this objectively i don't like maybe just don't even have i think what the nfl gets right is throwing these things out to a a, a third party that's away from the game and not really caring about what the referee said. They're just looking at what happened and saying, oh, yeah, that's what, you know, that's a foul. That's this. 
take it away from the game so that somebody can look at it and, and objectively make a decision no matter what the referee called. Like you shouldn't be trying to support or not support what was called on the field. You should just be saying, oh, this is what this is. Well, I mean, I think there's too many decision points. Like the thing about NFL is that like everything is a very discreet thing. There's a play, you know, mm-hmm. the play happens and then you can review it. There's a play, play happens, you can review it. Soccer is far more fluid than that. Yeah. that. Like there's just way too many decision points to actually do it that way, which I, and that's I, a, that, that's a definite problem is like not having a stop stoppage in the game to actually focus on yeah. the, pro, the issues as they're happening. But in like anytime I see a case like this the, with the uh, Lacazette uh, elbow, which I, I remember seeing it live, and I was like, "That's that should like that should definitely should be at least a yellow, if not a red." Uh-huh. It's you know, I again, I'm I'm not sure, but like I I just go back to the uh, Luis red card and penalty that happened. And if you can get a red card and a penalty for what Luis did, and they like, you know, like scientifically saw that like a millimeter of his toe clipped his foot and then judged that it was on purpose, which was why he got the uh, red card and the penalty. Because if it wasn't on right. purpose, he wouldn't have gotten that. And right. he wouldn't have gotten the double jeopardy. So if that's your 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 bar that you're setting, is that Luis red card and penalty? How is none of this ever getting called, the rest of it? And if that's not your bar, then the, the Luis red card and penalty shouldn't have been called. Like, I like, and that's where like it just gets when it comes to in-game situations that are not as binary as people think. I just, I, it's just absurd to me. Just let the ref make the call. As I say, I've enjoyed the Europa League games without VAR, specifically because there's been some bad calls against Arsenal. I, I, there was one against uh, when we played Molda that I was like pissed off about for like five seconds. And I'm like, ref made decision. Didn't go our way. We're moving on. Like it is yeah. what it is. And I've just enjoyed that feeling as opposed to every time there's something bad going like, well, they have the tools to call this back and call us and they're not. And that to me is more frustrating. Yeah, I think when you have a system in place that's supposed to fix things and it's not, then you're going to get frustrated once you. But yeah, I, I think our expectations of what VAR is should do and what it's actually set up to do are different, and that's the problem. Yeah, and then like, like, it, it is not to bring it is not set up to bring justice to the game. It is there to um try to mitigate referee errors, but they have to make the calls in the first place. Otherwise it doesn't, it doesn't work. And then even half the time when the referee makes the error, sometimes it just doesn't get fixed, you know, right. you know, and it's, yeah, it's. Cause I there's no know. way to be objective about the rest of it. That's yeah. why the offside is kind of where you have to draw the line because no pun intended, um, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it everything else is subjective. There's no way to be a, make objective decisions. I mean, like you can, um, if you were to look at, at, at a, at a foul, each, each side is going to look at a foul differently. Each yeah. player, each team, each referee is going to look at a foul differently. Uh, everybody comes at these things with their own experience. Some of them are very clear, but again, if the referee, the way it's set up, if the referee doesn't make the call, it doesn't matter. So a lot yeah. gets missed. So it, it's just it, it, the way that it is set up is broken and I don't know if there's an easy way to fix it that really takes 
error out of the game. Yeah. So then should you have it at all at that point? And I think we're unfortunately too far down this road. I think FIFA has staked their 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 claim on uh on having VAR, so I guess if you're going to continue with it though, you should definitely be looking to improve it. I don't think this should be the finished product. Um if you're going to continue to go down this road, you have to say how can we make it better every season? And that's whether that's technology or how you contextualize it or the people that are looking at it, whatever it is, you have to find ways to make it better because you can't just say this is good enough. Yeah, and it's not. And again, this is a conversation you and I have had a couple of times. All the time. I'm just, (laughs) I'm so tired of it. And that's another reason I want to abolish is I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'd rather just go back to debating bad referee mistakes as opposed to debating a system in which referee mistakes happen. Right. All right. I've got one more question for you before we wrap this thing up. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the beer talking because I'm going to reword this, but how absolutely fucked are Arsenal by losing tyranny at this point in the season? Well, I I think one of the things that might be, uh, more difficult is that Sokka is also not there. Yeah. Cause I, I think, you know, they were talking about it on the, um, cast this week. Uh, you know, Sokka is the clear replacement that makes a lot of sense for tyranny, uh, yeah. over, well over Cedric, just because you want the best players on the field and a natural left footer that's Saka. And so, and, and as I said, I don't, I haven't seen much about Saka, how long he's out and what's going on. Hmm. He was training. So there's hope that he okay. could be back by Thursday. So, we'll right. see. And, that, and that's ideal. And I think, you know, Saka is not the worst. It's, I'd rather have Saka play in the midfield than playing that, that, that position of Tyranny. Obviously I'd rather have Tyranny play in sure. it, but like, I don't yeah. think it's the end of the world if Saka can come in. I think it definitely kind of changes. Uh, I do think Sokka and Aubameyang, if we go that route, have a very good understanding with each other. Yeah. So that, although I'd rather have Sokka crossing to <laughs> Aubameyang than yeah, but you know, I, yeah. I they do have them playing on the same side isn't the worst thing in the world. So I mean, that that being said, but if it's both Sokka and uh, Tierney, then I think we're fairly fucked. Um, I also think mm. tyranny adds a lot of that grit to the team, a lot of that that hard work, that always always doing things, even when things are just the sorry, just the uh, ability to take guys on. Yeah, I mean that that was something that was completely missing from the Liverpool game was nobody was really able to take guys on. Even like Pepe was having very little success on his dribbles. Um, so Saka has that skill set, and, and and we need that absolutely. Yeah, and, and I know we've talked about it on this podcast. The fact that we've been heavily reliant on tyranny, and I've I've been afraid of this injury for 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 months at this point, and it was bound to happen. It was inevitable. I mean, the amount of games we play, like even if it's not fatigue, it's the the more times you're playing, the more likely you are, you are to get a bad tackle, have a bad fall. So, sure. I mean, are we absolutely fucked? I, our our team is so thin that like any of these positions that uh, we lose a player, yeah, and like the more that we lose, the more 
the worse it gets. I yeah, I guess I will say you're right that Sokka. We we need Sokka wherever we like if we can get him in the midfield and and um, get Tierney back. That's absolutely much better. But uh, I put I would put Sokka above said uh, Cedric. I would put um, you know Pepe's not a bad player to have in that Sokka position. So we we have coverage in different areas that that can make that work. Uh, it's not ideal. It would be much better to have a natural left back, but all the more pressure on the front office to make that that happen in the offseason, I guess, because you cannot continue to just rely solely on tyranny in that position. Yeah, I mean, like there, there. I know we're going to have a lot of podcasts during the offseason and during the Euros when there's not much going on that to talk about this but yeah there's there's so many holes to plug if it kind of feels like the uh little dutch boy at the uh at the the dam where he's you're trying to put all your fingers into all these little holes to mm-hmm. to to fix the problem and yeah i mean it's not a one off season problem but yeah <laughs> among the list should be a uh, backup to tyranny absolutely and if somebody who can compete i mean i don't want to have a bit like a a big drop off there. It's hard to like Tierney's outstanding, but I would like to have somebody that can put pressure on him. I think that's a, that's a good thing and something we should expect out of every position as players that are going to challenge each other. Well, I mean, ideally you have, all right, so Tierney and then you'd have Sokka slot in. And then if Pepe were actually the Pepe that we would want, he could slot into, uh, to the sock it's like there's a a way of shifting players that is not ideal but it like they're they're filling the roles are stepping up it's just yeah. it's just not the case with us right now we it, it, and it, it you know it may not be that we need a backup for tyranny we just need a backup for Sokka when he plays in the midfield that is a, a better option could be yeah might be whatever we're gonna have to go with whatever is available <laughs> come this summer yeah and then yeah i'm i'm i am nervous about that whole in the uh, Thursday's game against Slavia, if uh, if uh, is not available, yeah, I mean Cedric's not the worst thing in the world, but it, it um, the team would definitely be better with with uh, a natural left footer in that position. I think definitely. All right, let's wrap this thing up. What do you got uh, for the the fantasy update this week? Uh, I was almost going to delete it because we're running long and I didn't want to talk about it. Oh, uh, but you know, I can remove this. Let me, I can. No, it's okay. It's okay. We, right. can, we can talk about my failure, which is I got 29 <laughs> points. I see. I did get 29 points this last week. Tyranny was not a good inclusion in my team. Yeah. Uh, you got 39 points, which generally on a, a normal week isn't the greatest, but no, but yeah. It's much better than I did. Uh, <laughs> it means that puts you, you are within striking distance. If I keep on getting those scores, like, so you're, you're at four fourteen thirteen 13 is your total. I'm at fourteen forty. So it's achievable. It is achievable. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we are looking at, I don't I have high hopes <laughs> for that. I, if I keep, I need to actually look at my team after we get off of this, I'm going to, uh, do some fiddling but uh i mean when you when you consider you have a you know play or people that got uh 61 points like phil's gunner phil rossiter he got 61 points last week uh 
Yeah, there are a couple players. Oh, uh, could be better. Granelli, uh, Misquith got a uh, sixty-three points. Yeah, so I didn't even get half that score. But still, running to beating you is my uh, my goal. But I think I'm following lower and lower in the standings, which is a little disappointing. I totally know well, what I'm doing. <laughs> well, we'll keep plugging away. I'll see if I can catch up. See what happens here. Season season is not too much longer, so I only have so much time. All right. Well, with that, we should wrap things up here for our extra long episode once again. Who would have thought after a loss we'd have so much to say? <laughs> but um, thank you all for listening to our uh, episode this week. Uh, if you haven't done so already, review us wherever you are getting this. So if um, if it Stitcher, Google, iTunes, Apple Podcast, sorry, iTunes will never die in my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, wherever you're picking up the podcast, go leave us a review. Uh, if you're watching us, subscribe, like it, leave us a comment. We need as much support as we can get on the video side. Um, and so if you subscribe, that would be a huge help to us. Uh, and uh, if you want to send us a question like our friends did this week, uh, you can do so by uh, sending them on Twitter, which would be at W of N London. Uh, you can do a comment on YouTube, or if you just want to send us an email, we are westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. If you like our theme song, that's by Bobcat. So go check them out there at bobc.at. That's their website. Go check out No, no Course to Follow. Uh, that's their latest album there. And I think that is just about it for this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show. <laughs>